Amen. We are continuing in our series uh, together for the gospel as we look at our vision and mission statement together here at New City Fellowship. And we're going to move this morning to that mission statement, and I want to read it to you uh, this morning. It says, we exist to worship the Lord, to edify his saints, and witness to the world by the power of and, and in obedience to Christ, our prophet, priest, and king. I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Revelation 4 and 5. We're going to talk for a few moments this morning about the worship of the Lord, what it means to worship the Lord. And I'm actually going to read both of those chapters. They're, they're, they're short chapters, uh, but I want to read uh, Revelation 4 and 5 to you this morning in your hearing as we reflect uh, on a few moments uh, from this sermon that I've titled, Bow Down and Worship Him. Revelation 4 begins, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were... Twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front Sorry, <laughs> threw me off a little bit. Uh, go back to verse 6. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among 
the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the living God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. And glory and honor and thanks, we worship you this morning. And we pray that as we look together at these passages, that you would indeed strengthen our worship, that you would draw us deeper into what it means to worship you individually and corporately together as your people. I pray, Lord, bless our time this morning as all of us sit under the authority of your word. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't mind telling you that we're going to take more of a 30,000-foot view of these two passages of Scripture (laughs) rather than going into the detail in every single thing here. But in his book, Worship in Spirit and Truth, John Frame defines worship as the work of acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. And Frame goes on to say uh, in that first chapter, true worship is saturated with reminders of God's covenant lordship. We worship to honor his mighty acts, to hear his authoritative word, and to fellowship with him personally as the one who has made us his people. When we are distracted from our covenant Lord and preoccupied with our own comforts and pleasures, something has gone seriously wrong with our worship. In Revelation 4 and 5, John has been invited into the throne room of heaven. He's invited, if you will, into the court of the king over all the earth. And amid all the other things that are present in the court, the centerpiece of it is the throne and the one who is seated upon that throne. The focus of the four living creatures The focus of the 24 elders, the focus of the innumerable host of angels in chapter 5, it's upon that throne. Indeed, when the figure described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the lamb that was slain appears in Revelation 5, he does so as the only one who is able to approach that throne, to take the scroll that document with the mysterious writing and the seals and open it, unveiling God's future 
for the world. And so when worship is given to the Lamb, we know that we are dealing with one who shares the glory and honor and power of the one seated on the throne. Indeed, we know from the rest of the scriptures that it is uh, that in this scene we are dealing with the triune God. We are dealing with the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who alone is worthy of our worship. And that all of heaven and earth joins in at the end of chapter 5 in the worship of the one seated on the throne and the Lamb worship, which we know is facilitated through the power of the Spirit who is God, reminds us of that definition again of what worship is. It is the acknowledgement of the greatness of our covenant Lord. God, through John, writing back to God's church, wants to remind them afresh of the purpose for which the host of heaven was brought into being, the purpose for which the heavens and the earth were created, the purpose for which the peoples from among the nations redeemed by the blood of the Lamb have been called together. The purpose is nothing less than the worship of the one who is seated on the throne, the triune God who rules over all the world. When frame, when frame identifies preoccupation with our own comforts and pleasures as being the source of something gone wrong with our worship, he is homing in on the sin that remains a central problem in parts of the church and is the central problem with those outside of the church. Our sin and rebellion is bound up in our preoccupation with our own comfort, our preoccupation with our own pleasure. In Paul's conclusion regarding sinful humanity, he says this in Romans 1, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if this throne room scene is anything for us, it is a call back to our central purpose. It is a visual picture of what all of heaven, all of creation, and all of the redeemed are called to do. And for us who have put our faith in Jesus, it's a reminder that his blood has brought us back to God. His blood has given us continual access before the throne of God, into the worship of God. It is this throne room that we are invited into with our prayers. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so I have a question for us this morning. What is the greatness of our covenant Lord that we are called to acknowledge together in worship? What is the greatness of our covenant Lord that, we, that is meant to shape our worship of God in the church? I want to begin by reminding us this morning that the Lord is sovereign. <laughs> the Lord is sovereign. The opening scene of Revelation 4 is meant to send a clear message to John and through John to the church and through the church to the world. And that message is this, that the one seated on the throne in the heavens is the sovereign ruler over everything. <laughs> he is king. He is Lord. He is ruler. He is sovereign over 
everything from the magnificence of his appearance to the magnificence of his throne to the 24 elders who possess a, a rule given to them by the one seated on the throne to the flashes of lightning, the rumblings, the thunder that proceed from the throne to the four living creatures around the throne. The vision is meant to impress upon us the supreme power and authority of the one who is seated on the throne, our triune God. He is Lord over the heavens. He is Lord over the earth. He is Lord over all that lives upon the earth, including the human community. In addition to the imagery provided by John of what he sees in the throne room is what he also hears. The four living creatures, we are told, never cease to say night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And why? Why is this faithful proclamation regarding the one seated on the throne, why is it so important? It's because there are others, particularly those on the earth who, though, uh, who think, in fact, that they are the ones who rule ultimately over the world. <laughs> and there are still those today who think that their rule is ultimate. There are men and women all over this world who think that their power is ultimate, who think that what they say and do is final. But none of them, of none of them, can it be said, holy, holy, holy. That is, they are not holy other. They are not separate from everything else. They are not incomparable in their being. They are not morally pure without fault or blemish, separate from all that is evil and sinful. They do not dwell in unapproachable light. Of none of them can it be said that they are truly almighty, that is all-powerful, unable to be conquered or subdued, able to bring all things under subjection to them, able to bring about in all circumstances the purposes that they intend. Of none of them can it be said that they exist as one who was and is and is to come. They are not eternal, not from everlasting to everlasting, not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Their rule will come and then it will one day go. Yet the one seated on the throne, our God, is from everlasting to everlasting. He is holy, He is almighty, and He is eternal in His sovereignty. And this is to our good, because the one seated on the throne is all good. <laughs> the sovereignty of our God is the sovereignty of the one who is good in all that He is and good in all that He does. And when John sees him in that throne room, and when the church back home saw him through John's words written to them in this letter, they would have drawn great comfort in knowing that the rule and the rulers of Rome did not hold final authority over their lives. They would have delighted to know that there is one who is seated on the throne of heaven who rules over everything, including the decisions of men on this earth. They would be reminded afresh that there was one greater than Caesar, that there was one greater than all those who rule under Caesar, and that one seated on the throne is our God, who is sovereign today as he was then and will forever be. And that's a reason, brothers and sisters, to worship him. <laughs> it's a reason to shape our lives around giving him the glory and honor and thanks that is due to his name. Worshiping God 
worshiping God as sovereign looks like living lives together that display the same attitude as those 24 elders in this passage in Revelation 4. Notice again their response to God's sovereignty in this passage. They lay their crowns before the throne. Whatever power they have, they recognize it as from God, and they submit that authority back to the Lord in praise. They hold their power, they hold their power in submission to the Lord. And I want to tell you this morning that this is our call as well. Whatever power we have, we are meant to hold it in submission to the sovereign Lord of all the earth. Our power, brothers and sisters, our authority isn't given to secure our own pleasure, but to bring glory to God and blessing to the earth. As parents, as parents, our power is for the purpose of bringing up our kids in the reverence of the Lord, to teach them how to live for God in the world. Our kids aren't solely given to us for our own happiness, but for God's glory. And helping them know what it looks like to live unto His glory is how we are meant to use our authority in their lives. As employers, our job is to use our authority to enable those under our employ to flourish in the work that they do for their own development as well as for the good of the community in which our businesses are rooted. Yes, God blesses us materially through the labors of others, but the goal should not be simply our own comfort and pleasure, but the good of others. Whatever authority God has given us is meant to be used for His glory in that sector of our lives as well. In every arena where God has given us power, we are meant to use it in submission to the sovereignty of God, making His purposes in that area of authority that He has given us our chief goal. So what I, I would ask you this morning, I would ask you this morning, are you like the 24 elders? Do you take your crown off and lay it before the Lord, or is it still on your head? And are you simply using whatever authority He has given you for your own purposes, for your own comfort, for your own pleasure? Worshiping the Lord means recognizing and acknowledging that He is sovereign. And that means whatever crown He has given to us, we lay before Him in submission to Him for His glory and honor. Amen, people of God. The Lord, we worship the Lord, we worship the Lord, we're invited to worship the Lord individually and corporately as the sovereign Lord, as the Lord who is sovereign. But we're also called to worship Him as the Lord who is Creator, the Lord who is Creator. In verse 11 of chapter 4, Revelation, we read this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. These 24 elders proclaim the truth spoken in the first words of our Bibles, in Genesis 1 which we find echoed now in this last book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything in creation, 
owes its existence to the creative activity of the triune God who spoke it into existence. Indeed, the things we create that we pat ourselves on the back for creating are made out of the stuff of God's creation. And those elders, these elders, unlike many of their human counterparts on the earth, know who is responsible for the existence of the world and thus the existence of their own lives. And make no mistake about it, this is not just a word about how everything that is here got here. It is also a word about ownership. It is also a word about who owns what has been created. The world was created by God, and therefore it belongs to him. And it's this truth that gives ground to God's rebuke of his people. When they bring him sacrifices and don't follow truly in his ways, he declares in Psalm 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of, uh, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and all of its fullness is mine, says God. In other words, he created it, and it belongs to him. Remember that this letter is being written to churches in a context in which the rulers of the world are making alternative claims and working to subdue anyone who rejects those claims. Indeed, this letter is being written to the church, which is encountering persecution, and according to the letter is going to encounter even more an intense persecution. John himself is on the island of Patmos, and he is not there for a vacation. He's not there on a study break. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos, and he introduces himself to the churches in this way, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. What do a people, what do a people, what do a people enduring tribulation and persecution need to be reminded of? What, what do a people who are being displaced from their communities by the rule of others need to know, need to understand? What, what are those who are being deprived of the resources of this world? What do they need to hear? What do they need to know? They need to be reminded that the world in which they are being displaced by the whims of oppressive rulers does not belong ultimately to those rulers. It belongs to God. It is our God who created the world, and it belongs to him. And believing this truth, brothers and sisters, will lead us into worship and praise. It will lead us to the same response as these elders' cries of praise, even in the face of tribulation, because we know that God will not give up his creation ultimately into the hands of the wicked. He created the world. It belongs to him. And thus, we are called to worship him for that truth. And worshiping God as creator means, here's what it means. It means holding all that we have as belonging first to God and to us as stewards. Let me say that again. It means holding all that we have as belonging first to God and then to us as stewards. And that's not just a point of theological reflection to say that God is creator 
and owns everything. It is a matter of practical living. It's a matter of practical living. When we hold what we have as ultimately ours and not God's, we often hold it fiercely and in ways that cause us to neglect our responsibility to others. We are less generous when we believe it is ours and not God's. We are more prone to idolatry, the worship of stuff, when we believe that it is ours and not God's. We are more violent and destructive when we believe that it is ours and not God's. That God is creator means that we hold what he has given us open-handedly, ready to use it for the purposes for which God has given it to us versus using it solely for our own comfort and our own pleasure. If our money belongs to God truly, if our money belongs to God truly, then we are praying, asking him how we should use it and where he would have us use it to bless others. If our children belong to God, then we are asking what God wants for their lives, not just what we want for their lives. If our church buildings and our resources belong to God, then we are asking him how we should use it to bless not ourselves, but the community around us. If the earth is indeed the Lord's and the fullness thereof, then how we use what he has given us is actually a matter of worship. If it's ours and not God's, then we don't worship him with it. Rather, we use it for our own comfort and pleasure. And worshiping the Lord looks like acknowledging him as creator and owner of everything and using all that he has given to us for his glory and praise. Amen, people of God. The Lord is sovereign, and so we should worship him. The Lord is creator, and so we should worship him. And finally, the Lord is Savior. Amen, people of God. Revelation 5 presents us with a great scene that is centered around a great victory. And while we're not, uh, we're not told in this chapter what is written on the scroll that John sees in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, we know just from the drama of the scene, the revelation of the scroll itself, the loud voice asking who can open it, the silence that comes over the scene when no one is found who can open it, as well as John's loud weeping in the midst of that silence, that this scroll and what is written in it is crucial to the unfolding of God's plans for the world. And we know, given the tribulation that the church is currently enduring, as well as the tribulation that is coming, that the hope of humanity rests on God's saving acts coming to fulfillment. And it's for this reason that the announcement of the angel to the weeping John is, in fact, so powerful and so filled with hope and so encouraging. Anyone ever, any, anyone in this house, in this place, ever looked out at the state of your life and wept? Anyone ever looked at what was going on in your own life, in your own situation, and been filled with weeping? Anyone ever looked out at the state of someone else's life? and wept. Anyone ever looked out at the state of the church and wept? 
Anyone ever looked out at the state of the world, what we see going on in, in, in different places around the world? Anyone ever looked out at the hopelessness and the brokenness and the destruction and wept? John wept because he knew that the only answer lay in God's unfolding plan for the nations of the earth. And so the angel's announcement comes as the hand of God wiping away the tears of those who are looking to him for salvation. And he declares, weep no more. How many of you are grateful this morning for that phrase? Weep no more. And you know what's behind? You know what's behind the message to weep no more? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And John opens his eyes to see the image of one standing before the throne and in the midst of the living creatures and the elders whose appearance is like a lamb that was slain. And this slain lamb goes to the throne, takes the scroll from God's right hand, an action that symbolizes his shared authority and power with the one seated on the throne. And the four living creatures and the elders that we met in chapter 4, seeing what has just happened, do the only appropriate thing. They fall down and worship the lamb that was slain, singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from God for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth and when the praise team finishes the special chorus of angels begin their song worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and after the special chorus the cry the choir consists of every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them closes out the singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The heavens know how to worship God when they recognize what God has done to bring salvation to the broken of this earth. And we need to learn how to open up our mouths and give praise to God and worship him who is the savior of our souls, the one who has redeemed us and set us free from sin and death and all that flows from it. And then the elders, <laughs> who can't stay on their feet, <laughs> given the momentous work of salvation that God has worked through his son, close the service with, where's that little one that said amen this morning? With an amen. With an amen. <laughs> and they fall down again, and they worship God. <laughs> because what else do you do? <laughs> when you are faced with the truth as grand as this? What else do you do when you are faced with the truth that the sovereign ruler and creator of the world loved it so much that he would not give it into the hands of enemies, would not allow sin and death to destroy it, but rather gave himself for it through the person and work of his son and our Lord Jesus Christ to set it free from those enemies, to fulfill his purposes, purposes that conclude with the image of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that has all come about through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you not worship God when you recognize that he is the one that is going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth? And as we grieve and as we mourn the brokenness of our own sin, and as we grieve and mourn the brokenness and sin of others, and as we grieve and mourn the brokenness and sin of nations as they war with one another, as we cry and as we grieve what we see going on in the world, going on in the world, we grieve not as those who do not have hope because we know where it is all headed. We know what God has promised to do. We know what the Savior has done. We know what his power is going to bring about. What more do we need to draw us toward the worship of God? We're going to join in Southeast Grand Rapids. Join in gospel ministry in Southeast Grand Rapids. There's a church that exists to worship the Lord. Then it is as a church who is worshiping him as the sovereign Lord over all the earth. A church that recognizes and worships him as the creator of all that is in the earth, the earth itself. And to worship him as the one who is savior and redeemer are all those who cry out to him for salvation. And here's the call. It's to join with all of creation in praising God for the salvation that he has won for us in Jesus. It's to do exactly what the whole of creation does in chapter 5, and that is to publish praise to God for saving us, for bringing together the nations of the earth into one family under the lordship of our triune God through the victory that Jesus has won for us. And I know when you see conflict and war, like what's going on in the Ukraine, when you see racial and ethnic division in other parts of the world, when you see it here at home, we can look at those things and think, not only is that all there is, but that's all it will ever be. But listen again to the text. You were slain, and by your blood, you have ransomed people from God, for God, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That means the day is coming. The day is coming when people from Russia and Ukraine will be in the same place together. and we'll live at peace with one another. The day is coming where black and white will be in the same place together and live in peace with one another because he was slain. The day is coming, the day is coming, the day is coming where men, women, and children from among all the nations of the earth will be in the same place together, worshiping their great God and King for the salvation that he has won for us. And so what's our job is to tell this truth over and over again to ourselves and to tell it to our neighbors over and over again 
do we realize, do we realize, church, that as the church, we have the greatest news the world has ever heard? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the message you carry is the greatest message the world has ever heard? Do you really believe it? Do, do, do we realize that as a church, we have the word that brings people back to God and that destroys all the divisions that we are seeing and experiencing in our world? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that this word is the word that transforms and gives hope in a world filled with discouragement and doubt? My invitation, I believe the invitation of the Scriptures, is to not sit in our Christian ghettos telling the message to ourselves and not telling it to our neighbors. Let's do what the Master tells His servant in the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 14. Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Let's labor, brothers and sisters, through the power of the Spirit, to see more and more people added to that chorus of praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for the salvation that He has won for us. Amen, people of God. If worship is indeed the work of acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord, then what greater reasons do we have than those presented to us in these two chapters? We're called through faith in Jesus Christ to worship God the one who is sovereign, the one who is creator, the one who is savior. And our lives, brothers and sisters, are meant to be shaped by the acknowledgement of the greatness of our God as he has presented to us in these chapters. May we indeed be shaped by the power of the Spirit through faith in Jesus to truly worship him as sovereign, to truly worship him as creator, and to truly worship him as savior. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise because all, these, all that these two chapters say about you, we know is true. We know that you are the ruler, the sovereign over all this earth. We know that you are the creator of all this earth, the one who owns everything. We know that you are Savior, the one who has redeemed us through the blood of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to you this morning, not just intending to worship you on this day as sovereign, as creator, as savior, but asking that you, by the power of your spirit, would work in us more and more that each day, Lord, when we open our eyes, by the power of the spirit, we would commit ourselves that day to worshiping you, worshiping you as sovereign, as creator, and as Lord. I pray that our lives, Lord, will reflect that we believe the truth of what these scriptures say about you. And I pray, Lord God, that we would indeed worship you as you so rightly deserve. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.